Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 5th of June, 2022. Insulated, not isolated. Again, we return to the Gospel of John, and again to those portions of God's Word that deal with the upper room discourse, and then as Jesus made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, teaching his disciples. And we're in chapter 17 of John, as John records for us what really is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is talking to his Father, and we've already seen portions of this. We saw the beginning of the prayer dealing with the idea of glory, the focus being brought on Jesus, and then his fame being spread. And likewise upon the Father, because he's the one that was part of orchestrating this, and his glory spread. Then we spend some time, as Jesus did in his prayer, talking about how he has chosen us out of this world. Then we're not any different from the world, except God's grace has changed us. In other words, we're, we're cut from the same bolt of cloth. We have the same sin nature. We have the same needs. We have the same cares and concerns. And then what happened is Jesus Christ intersected our life and made all things new. We have no claim to fame except God's grace. We're turning now to further focus on Jesus' prayer for his disciples and, and by application to us as well. As he spends some time praying to the Father about his disciples. And I just want to draw three major points out of this. We'll sort of expand them a little bit. But the first one is found in verse 11 where he says, of course it helps if I find it, right? I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' care and concern was that there would be a oneness with the Father and with the Son and with his disciples. There would be no difference there in the oneness but the focus I want to talk about here is he says, they are not of the world. They saved them from, they saved them in the world. As he says in verse 11, they are no longer in the world. Uh, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. In other words, he's talking about his disciples here and he says, they may pass like anybody else in the world, but they, because they're still in the world, but they're changed now. And he's going to talk about that. Um, two, two points. First of all, we were of the world. We weren't just in the world. We were of the world. We were those people who, as we said, 
lived just like the world. But he says, now we're in the world as those who are alive. He says, you, uh, that you would keep them uh, in your name, which you have given me, that they may one be one as we are one. And so the intention of Jesus as he focuses on this prayer is he says, we are still in the world, but now we're living. And I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We've gone there many times, and so I'm just going to get to verse 4. In verse 1 through 3, he describes us being dead and trespasses and sin. And this is how we used to be. And he says, you, this is how you formerly walked. You, you walked in this world, but you were dead in trespasses and sin. And you were following the course of this world, and you were under the leadership of the, of the head of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He says, that was who we were. But he gets to verse 4, and he goes, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. What's the difference between the world and us? The world is dead to all things spiritual. What is the, what is the truth about believers? We are alive in Christ. Did we deserve it? No. Were we different to start with? No, we were the same. The, the difference is Jesus. Jesus brought about the change in our hearts, in our life. Well, that's just verse 11. The major focus is verses 12 and following. So let me read this next section, verses 12 through 16. And while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. We know who that was, Satan. It's an emissary in the disciples, Judas. He says that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In other words, even the betrayal of Judas was prophesied, and it was part of the plan of God in redemption. He says, now I'm coming to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. This is a passage that focuses on, on God's intention for us, that we would be redeemed people filled with joy. Filled with joy. And he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so in verses 12 through 16, we have the concept of not being isolated in the world, but insulated. Not isolated, but insulated. God had no intention, as he praying this prayer, that Christians would get saved and then run for, to the hills. He had no intention that believers would go, this world is so crazy, so wild, so evil. 
and now I'm more aware of it than ever before that I was, I was, I've been changed and I've been brought up. I'm going to get out of here. And there's probably not a one of us that hasn't desired at one time or another, maybe even currently, just to say, if I can just find some quiet pet place away from everybody else, that would be good for me. But that wasn't the prayer of the Lord. The Lord says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I don't want them to skip out on the world and say, Jesus saved me. I realize how bad it is here. I just want to go and hide someplace until he takes me to glory. That's not the intention. Jesus didn't pray that. He didn't desire for us to be in a her as a hermit, nor did he desire for us to, and part of this is, is history, join the monastic system and get into a monastery and be separated from, from people. Didn't intend that. But he says instead, his intention, not that we'd be isolated, but that we'd be, and this is my word, insulated. That we'd be kept and protected. That in this world, we would then be guarded. And he says, Jesus says, I have guarded all these that you have given to me, except for the son of perdition. He says, I have kept them. I have protected them. I have guarded them. I have watched over them. We think of electrical systems, and I am certainly no expert, but I know a short is not a good thing. It's when a hot wire hits another hot wire and we have some fireworks, depending on how great the juice that's flowing through it, we could have some real interesting things. I was riding home with my dad one day in uh, his pickup truck, and uh, we were only a couple of miles from home, and all of a sudden, there was this strange smell. Didn't recognize it. But what we came to discover was the insulation on some wires that had been rubbing together had worked their way to the place where there was no more insulation anymore, and now they were touching wire to wire and I was sitting there and all of a sudden, what was a strange smell a moment ago, now was a flame and it was right there at my feet. His dad pulled over, I got out of the truck. I'm not staying here. What Jesus is saying, I didn't design for them to be isolated, separated. I desired for them to be insulated. They're going to be right there in the world, but protected. So I was thinking, what were some of the resources that, that God has given to us that we might be protected? The first one I give to you is the word of God. The first thing that God gave to insulate us in this world is to know 
the truth, and the truth is in his word. Psalm 119.11, I'm sure you know it. Your word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against you. By the way, how many are really big into Bible memory? Can, can I give you a technique for Bible memory that won't strain your brain? <laughs> okay, pick a portion. I don't care if it's one verse, couple verses, two or three verses, chapter, book. No, <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep it small, okay? Here's your challenge. You ready? I don't want you to memorize it. And the way I'm going to give you is a way to memorize it. Okay? I want you to read it out loud in the morning and read it out loud again in the evening. If you do it at other times, that's just bonus. But I want you to read it out loud in the morning so you hear your own voice. And I want you to read it out loud in the evening. Now, if you're only learning a verse, how long is it going to take? Jesus wept. Okay. How, okay. In the evening, Jesus wept. I'm guaranteeing you in a month, you'll have that verse memorized. Now, of course, I'm being facetious here, but have you ever noticed that on the radio, on TV or whatever, they repeat ads, right? I could, we could probably have a little quiz here and say, can you give me a commercial from 10 years ago or further back? And you go, oh yeah. Winston tastes good like a... <laughs> now, now, how many of you tried to memorize that? You saw it on TV, you heard it on the radio, and you go, man, I've got to learn this. I've got to memorize that. No. What'd you do? You heard it over and over and over again. If you want to memorize something, stop struggling with it. Just read it. Read it out loud because that will reinforce it as you say it, speak it, don't just read it to yourself silently. Of course, if you're in public transportation, some people might not understand. You can read it silently at that time, but otherwise just read it and see what happens in a month if you don't learn that passage. Okay? So Bible memory. The Lord has given us, protected us, insulated us by giving us his word. And the psalmist said, your word have I hid in my heart, I might not sin against you. If I know your word, it can be used to help keep that insulation. So I am doing what is right. The second one, the resource that God has given us is his spirit. Remember when we were earlier on in the sermon on, on and this upper room discourse, Jesus had said to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go away 
that he would send the Spirit. This is what he says. John 16, 13. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And so what he has, the Holy Spirit, then, who ministers in our hearts. We were talking in Sunday school that one of the benefits that a believer has to keep us on the straight and narrow, keep us walking in the way, all those terms we use, is the work of the Holy Spirit who takes a scripture and applies it to a heart. Takes it and applies it to our heart. We have another resource, the saints. How many of us have been encouraged or built up by another believers, either their walk or their walk and their talk? <laughs> and they share something and the Lord uses that, the Holy Spirit takes that and takes those words of encouragement, those instructions, and applies it to our heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, he says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. And I love this. It doesn't say, He gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers, for the work of the ministry. Doesn't say that. He said to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, the, the idea is that each one of us would be participating as believers in the work of the ministry. He says what? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. God has graciously given believers to us to fortify our insulation in this world. But all these working together, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and fellow saints can have some impact in our life if we let it. I told the Sunday school class I was going to share a story, and they were trying to get me to share the story in Sunday school, and I said, no, wouldn't do it. And they said, well, you know, repetition would be good. And I said, no, because the nature of this repetition is... I don't really want to share it once. I don't want to share it more than once. Two incidences, and they both had to do with the Lord's table. And I, I thought about this passage. I thought about the Sunday school lesson we were going on in Philippians. And I go, Lord, you really do want me to share this, don't you? But I'm not going <laughs> to. No. He says, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> so I'll tell, tell you two stories. They're both true stories. 
One Sunday morning, it's the first Sunday of the month. What happens on the first Sunday of the month around here? Lord's Supper. I was ungracious to Diane. We won't go into any details because it doesn't need to happen. But she wasn't feeling well that day. And I added to her misery. And then I left the church. Why? Well, pastor's got work to do. Right? And all the way through Sunday school, I'm thinking, we're coming up to the Lord's Supper. What do I tell? What do you always tell people? If you got something against somebody, get it right. I don't want to. I don't want to. He says, well, are you going to do communion or not? Are you going to do the Lord's Supper or not? Are you going to be a hypocrite? Are you going to do what you tell other people to do? And that is to be right before you come to the Lord's table. Went through Sunday school. I can't remember what was being taught because the Holy Spirit was beating over my head. After Sunday school, made my way to the phone and called and said, Diane, would you forgive me? for what I have said and what I've done. She was gracious and forgave me. And I was able to participate in the Lord's table. That Sunday, nobody knew what happened. It was between me and the Lord and Diane. I wish you could say that's the only time that's ever happened. But I've got another one for you. I went to Northwest Conservative Baptist annual meetings. I think it was held down in Salem that year, meeting at a church, several hundred people. And I was, I was there to have fellowship with the other pastors and, and uh, the director at that time. Well, let's just say he and I were not on speaking terms. I'm not even sure he knew what was stuck in my craw. I'm not even sure that he had actually done anything wrong. But I had perceived it as wrong and I was holding it. And every time I saw him, it popped right to the surface. You ever try to hold beach ball underwater? That's a work. So anyway, here we are. And uh, they decided, and I remember ever having them do this before, they decided to have the Lord's Supper at our annual meeting. <clears throat> Who was leading it? Yeah, you got it. They had of the Northwest Convention. The guy I had an issue with. And he stood up. Anyway. <laughs> and he said, if you have odd against your brother, you need to take care of it before we share in the Lord's table. And I'm going... 
He couldn't be saying that. He shouldn't be saying that. But he did say that. And he says, and I realize it's kind of awkward in this large group. He says, but you need to make it right. And I'm going to give you time to do so. Why? 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 Where was I sitting? Well, in relation to this auditorium, it was sort of set up this way, wider than it was deep. I was sitting back there where Ralph would be sitting. I was sitting in the far corner. And the Holy Spirit goes, well... Man, I didn't realize those aisles were so long. But I had to make my way all the way up to the Lord's table. Pull the director aside and ask for forgiveness. Why? Because we have been taken out of this world. We're former worldly people. Now we are children of God. But he says, I want them to be insulated in the world, not removed from the world. But when we're in the world, we're different. And on that particular day, scripture was brought to mind. Holy Spirit was working me over and the saints then said well what are you going to do and God used all three to work on my heart that day was it embarrassing yeah it was do I want to go through that again? No. Why do you think I put in the bulletin the Sunday before we have the Lord's Supper? Take this time to prepare your hearts so that when we come to share these elements, you are ready to partake. But do you know what? Even if you're not ready, it only takes a few moments to get ready. So Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing him, Lord, they're not to be isolated from the world, they'll be insulated in the world. And then verses 17 through 19, he says, they're not in the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate or set myself apart. Again, the word sanctify. That they also may be sanctified. He talks about sanctification over and over again. So he didn't leave us here. Redeem us. Leave them in the world. And we have no purpose then. He says, no, I desire that they be sanctified in the truth. And there's a progress 
There's a process that we go through. Two points. Not a believer can say, I'm a nobody. Because all of us as believers have been designed with a purpose. None of us can say, I'm just part of the herd, part of the group. The larger the congregation, the more I can hide. <laughs> no. It says each one of us has been designed with a purpose. And then secondly, we're set apart for service in the world. God says, you are unique, but you're also set apart for service. There's a process and a purpose. The process is transformation through truth. Transformation through truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, it talks about the purpose of Scripture. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He says that what? The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says, I've given you the word. This is the truth. If we're going to be sanctified and set apart for service, he's going to use the word. Romans 12, 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may test, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, he says, let's move beyond knowing the word to applying the word. He says, each one of you is not just saved to be a bystander, but a participant. And the process is being transformed by the application of truth. We already saw the resources that God uses, the word of God, the Holy Spirit, and this other saints. And now for what purpose? That God has called us to a ministry of reconciliation. We might glorify him by again, turning the spotlight back onto his provision, his plan, and his Savior. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. I'll just quote one of them. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You can read the passage further. There's more to it. It's given to you and me, the ministry of reconciliation. Not bystanders, but participants in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, before I, I gave the illustration of, of these two times I had to go and confess before I shared in the Lord's Supper. Why? It says, because I believe the Lord wants to purify us so that we are prepared for ministry. Scripture uses a word over and over again to describe believers that we are and should be blameless. It doesn't say faultless because then we, none of us would, <laughs> that wouldn't apply. But blameless, that means when we sin, and he knows that we're going to sin, he tells us so in 1 John chapter 1, 
that we quickly get to the place of confession and repentance and restoration in our fellowship with the Lord so that we are available to be used by him. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I don't have to tell you this verse. It's a great commission, but he says, go and make disciples. And he gave that to all of us. Go and make disciples. And what do we have here then in this prayer as Jesus is lifting it up? He's praying for his disciples. By application, he's praying for us. So that when he's going away, and he soon was going to go away, his disciples would know, oh, I've already been prayed over. This is the Lord's intent for me. I've been insulated in this world, but not isolated. I'm not of the world anymore. And he has a job for me, a ministry for me to do. In this morning Sunday school class, and now here, I think the application is, because we were looking at Psalm 139, in the end of that passage, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. But he began the, the whole chapter. He says, you have searched me and known me. Now he says, search me and know me. Why? He said, so that you can lead me on paths of righteousness. I believe it was the prayer of the psalmist David where he says, I know you know all about me, but now I want you to reveal to me those areas that are keeping me from full fellowship with you. And then show me the way that I can walk in paths of righteousness. That ought to be our prayer. That ought to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. That we would say, yes, Lord, may these things be done in me. May I be insulated. May I be prepared for service. Lord, cleanse me, wash me. Prepare me, instruct me. May I glorify you. In a moment, we're going to share the Lord's table. And I'm going to give you some, some moments of time of quietness before the Lord. May the Holy Spirit then speak in your heart and say, Lord, show me, teach me. If there's anything here that distracts from your name, your character, your nature, please, please point it out. And by your grace, I will confess it and repent of it, turn from it. Let me give you that time. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you thankful. Thankful that you loved us enough to redeem us. Thankful that you demonstrate mercy to us 
don't hold our sins over us. In your graciousness and wooing us and, and drawing us back into your presence. Heavenly Father, may we respond in kind by humbling ourselves before you, dealing with the issues of life that get in the way of our fellowship. And as we confess and repent, we acknowledge that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, as we come to this table now to share of these elements, may our, our hearts be drawn into your presence as we, we realize the cost of our salvation, but also the fullness of joy you had in redeeming us to your honor and to your glory. And we give thanks in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. You ask the men to come and we will share these elements. Just a little bit of instruction before we continue. We have some broken unleavened bread, basically some matzah and some fruit of the vine, some grape juice. The one represents Jesus Christ's body broken for us. The other, his blood shed for us. And both emblems state exactly that, they're emblems. But they draw us into remembrance, this do in remembrance of me. We're reminded of the cost. We look at the stippling on the bread and we realize that Jesus Christ was broken. Psalm 52 said his vestige, his appearance was marred so much that he was hardly recognizable as a man. And then his blood was shed on our behalf. An innocent. Jesus didn't deserve that. But he willingly gave up his life for us. So these elements then draw us into his presence. On the one side, that he might be glorified in providing so great a salvation. And on the other side, our great need of a savior because of our sin. We're going to have the men pass these elements out. First, the unleavened bread. We invite you to partake, whether you're a member or not, of our, of our church family. This is the Lord's table, not ours. And then we'll give a signal, we'll partake together. And then likewise, the cup following. And let's start with the broken unleavened bread. And Mike, if you'd lead us in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you again that we can come together as a family and, and just give you honor and thanks for what you have done for us. 
with the shedding of your blood on that cross that you so violently died on for us so that we can be one with you and have our freedoms. Let our lives be glorifying to you and everything you've done for us. Help us to hear you and be directed and guided by your love and that your love shall shine through us as we shine it upon those who need to see it. We thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We sit not out of disrespect for the great price that was paid for so great a salvation, but because it was finished and we participate then in that life that's found in Christ. Let's take this bread and as we eat it, let's think of the terrible cost to Jesus Christ on our behalf and how he joyously gave himself for us. The second element is the cup and I'm gonna ask Tom if he would lead us in prayer. Oh, our precious and heavenly Father, we do thank you for what you have done for us. It was our sins that put you on the cross, and you shed your blood for what we did. You paid the price, and we just give you the glory and all the praise. And we thank you that we have this opportunity and this time to remember what you have done for us. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. Take the second element. Jesus called it coming out of the Passover dinner. And it's referred to this day as the cup of redemption. We partake in this new covenant through his blood. No more the sacrifice of animals for recovering for sin. But Jesus was about to go to the cross and offer himself up as the Lamb of God take away the sin of the world. We have that great privilege in and through the work of Jesus Christ. Let's drink to that new covenant in his blood. I'm going to ask the men to return and come and collect your cups. And then Mike 
they can send for you in common leaders in the closing song.